Carrie, would you come to read God's Word? Let's stand to honor God's Word. We're going to be reading. She'll be reading um, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 and following. Come on. Oh, where's, where's the mic? Here's the mic. Come on, stand next to me. Don't be shy. Come on over. There you go. Luke 14, verses 12 to 24. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Great, thanks. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Now, maybe you've played this game before. If you could invite six people to a dinner party, who would you invite? I imagine many of us would, would put Jesus on the list. And he was on the list of this very important religious leader that evening, not uh, as an honored guest, but uh, Luke writes in the first verse of that chapter uh, so that they could watch him carefully. They, they knew Jesus was up to, to no good in their eyes, and so they wanted to keep an eye on Jesus and he didn't disappoint. He made such a scene that night, I doubt that any of them would ever invite him back again. Even though Jesus got into his biggest arguments with the Pharisees, time and time again, we see him interacting with them, not just on the streets, but here in a dinner setting. Not that he wanted to be like them, but he wanted to show them a godly example. And, and in chapter 14 of Luke's gospel, Jesus does three very controversial things. Three very controversial things things, and I mentioned the first two, and we're going to focus in on the third one. The first thing Jesus does that's controversial is he heals the man on the Sabbath. Right there at the dinner party, he heals the man, and on the Sabbath, no less. And the religious leaders are dumbfounded. They're speechless. They don't know how to re respond. Secondly, the second controversial thing Jesus did is he, he embarrassed his host and he unsettled all the guests by pointing out uh, kingdom, uh, kingdom essentials and a lesson in humility. It's, not, it's kind of bad form to, to embarrass your host and to unsettle all the guests, but Jesus does that in the passage we're going to look at. But the third thing he did 
The most controversial thing that happens at that dinner party that we're going to focus most of our time in on is he told them a story about the kingdom of God. So Jesus healed a man, and rumor of the healing starts to spread through the house. Debate follows. People are unsettled. And then Jesus notes just loud enough for everyone to hear. We imagine Jesus was probably down towards the end of this long table. He notes the people that have the best seats are the ones with the most money. He notes that the people with the, the highest social status are the ones sitting closest to the host of the party. And he says, now, in my kingdom, it's the, it's the very reverse. He says those that are, are humble in spirit will be the ones seated at the best seats, and those that are full of themselves will have the worst seats. Awkward. Can you imagine? It's just a little awkward. Now look at verse 12 to 14. This is where it gets awkward for me. This is where the text gets personal and controversial in my life and maybe in yours. Look at what happens. Jesus now turns to the host and says, quote, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your family members, or rich neighbors. If you do, they, they may invite you back, and so you've been repaid. But when you give a party, invite the poor, the disabled, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Man, that gets personal because I've never done that. And when, when I throw a dinner party, I invite my friends, I invite my family members, uh, my mother-in-law here, Renee, my niece is visiting for Boise. She's invited. Our friends are invited. And our neighbors, they're all rich. I'm rich. And Jesus talks about inviting a whole different class of people. Is that really what it says? Is that what it means? I mean, am I really supposed to invite, it says, the poor, disabled, and blind? I mean, I, that can't really be what it means, right? Maybe we should spiritualize this. The spiritually poor, right? That's what it means, isn't it? Let me see. Now, I studied the Greek. We got some people who went to seminary. Dave, you studied this. I think it says, when you give a party, invite the poor, the disabled, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. So I think what that means is, I'm not doing what Jesus told me to do. You see, this is where it gets personal. And we can sort of say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Atta boy, get out those Pharisees in this long, faraway place 2,000 years ago. But he's speaking to us. What are you going to do with what Jesus says? Jesus is talking about radical generosity. He, he's talking about heroic hospitality and I don't think that I'm measuring this up. He says what counts in this life doesn't matter. It matters what counts in the life to come. That's where we will be blessed. That's where we will be repaid. So imagine, friends, that you and I are at this dinner party. It's getting a little awkward. He's calling everybody out. And so look at verse 15. So, so just note this. We're at this party He's kind of touched everyone at this point. Verse 15, one of these guests, one of these privileged guests is trying to break the tension and says, um, um, this is getting awkward. Uh, let's raise a glass. 
let's raise a glass and says, quote, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What's he doing? He's just trying to pull attention away from that, that radical rabbi down at the end of the, uh, of the table. He's trying to change the subject. He's trying to lighten the mood because Jesus is ruining everybody's day. He's calling them out. And so this guy raises this platitude. It's just this religious saying, something you'd say in polite conversation in, in religious circles. You would know what to do when someone gave you this softball of an opportunity to change the subject. And so this guest uses a known, at that time, traditional toast. Hmm, Jesus, this is getting awkward. The appetizers are getting cold. And so I say, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And then you say, and he would have been taught this uh, if he went to rabbinical school, he would say, may we be among the righteous counted worthy to attend the Lord's feast on that great, great day. Now that's a mouthful, but just imagine what I'm trying to say here. Just a religious platitude. Come on, Jesus, play the game. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he tells a story. He sneaks in under their defenses because he knows the original content and meaning of what this guest is trying to do speaks to a reality that no one there at that table understands. It's the messianic banquet promised through the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus needs to pull this out of him. He needs them to understand how serious this is, but they don't get it. Let me read to you that, that promise that this now eloquent but platitude of a, of a saying, something you'd say in polite conversations, where it comes from. Isaiah 25, Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 9, says this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. All the rabbinical teaching uh, afterwards for many, many hundreds of years tried to twist these words to make it say what it wasn't saying, which was this was a blessing for all nations, including Gentiles. They try to twist it around that it's only for the Jews. But it says, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheath that covers all nations. He, the Lord, will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away every tear. Where have we heard that before? Revelation, from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they will say, all these different peoples, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. What a beautiful promise. What a wondrous promise of salvation. A promise 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And these people are using it as a way of changing the subject. Well, Jesus won't let them have it. You see, they would have thought that they were the worthy ones at that table because they were good, godly Jews. So Jesus uses a parable, uses a story to teach his listeners 
but contrary to their expectations, the guests originally invited will miss the banquet and will be replaced by the unworthy people out in the streets and in the alleys. And even it will go out to the highways and byways, out to the Gentiles and to all the nations. I'm going to aim to do the same thing. I'm going to aim to sneak under our defenses because I think this is a timely word, church, for us to respond to, not just to nod and say amen, but what am I going to do now? So let's look at the story. Verse 15. A certain man was preparing a great feast and invited many guests. Now, that's verse 16. In that day and age, uh, when there was a big feast, uh, there were two invitations that would go out. The first invitation was a save date invitation. You, you get those, right? You get a save date email. Same thing, but consequentially, this is very, very important because the host needed to know how much food to prepare, how much meat to butcher and have ready for the feast. If you got that first invitation, it was, it was beholden on you to respond quickly if you could not make it. And there'd be plenty of time for you to, to respond, but you'd have to respond as soon as you could so that the master of the house could know how much food to prepare. Send those regrets early. The second invitation would go out the day of the banquet. Party people, it's time. The food's ready. Come and enjoy the feast. So imagine everything's set up, prepaid, ready to go. And what happens? Excuse after lame excuse. I mean, look what they say. What happens? The first one says, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Really? Who would buy a field and not go check it out first? But you buy property here in town. Would you not check out the home that you purchased before? You have to go at that very moment. Bad excuse. The second says, I bought five oxen of, uh, five yoke of oxen. I have to go try them out. Really? That's a lame excuse too. Of course you would have tried them out ahead of time. The third one really gets me. I just got married. I can't come. Have you ever known a, married, a newly married couple that turns down free food? <laughs> Come on. Bring her along. These invited worthy guests are unworthy of, of the invitation. Now, now listen, I've said this before. Every parable has an aha moment, a twist in the story, a whoa, I wasn't expecting that kind of moment. It hasn't happened yet. Here it comes. Look at verse 21. It says, the servant came back, reported this to the master, verse 21. Then the master of the house got really, really angry. Justifiably, right? Wouldn't you be mad? You've prepared everything. There's people making excuses. He got mad. He got angry, the nerve. But listen, he ordered his servant, quote, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and uh, the blind, and the lame. What's the big aha moment? Anger turned to grace. His anger, justifiable anger, turned into grace. It's a shame the invited guests gave such bad excuses. The reality is they didn't want to come at all. If they really wanted to come, they'd be there. Like if you'd really want to be at my party, wouldn't you show up? You say, oh, oh, we're so busy. Oh, our summer's just packed. Really? If, if I offered something that you just absolutely were 
thrilled with, wouldn't you change your schedule to be there if it really mattered to you? That's what's happening here. And the master has every right to be mad, but his anger turns not to more anger, but to grace. And the servant gets to be part of this beautiful new invitation. He says, go out quickly and find the most needy. What do you suppose the reaction of those people was? The, the, the poor, the lame, the, the blind, the crippled. What do you think their reaction was? Who, me? You, you must be mistaken. Not, not, not me. I'm not the right social class. I, 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 you, you can't possibly thank me. Are they making excuses? No, but they're just blown away by, by the offer. They can't believe it. I can't walk. I can't see. I, I'm wounded. And what does the servant say? You may be all those things, but you know what else you are? You are invited. And that's all that matters. Listen, church. Come up with a list of the most unlikely people to be at the Lord's banquet. The kind of people that Jesus got in trouble with for eating and hanging out with. And they are getting invited. That's grace, my friends. That's shocking. And that's wonderful. Now, why do they accept? Why do they, they accept this invitation? Like, they have other things going on. They, they don't think that they're worthy. Why do they accept? Because they don't have any excuse. They've got no excuse. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Imagine being a servant of the master. Now you're starting to catch it. Like, this, this is kind of cool. I'm used to going to, like, people that are kind of stuck up and inviting them. They're kind of expecting the invitation. But now I get to go on. I'm meeting all kinds of interesting new people and people, honestly, I wouldn't normally interact with. But, master, there's still room at your table. And what's his response? Go out. Bring new people in. There's still room. Go outside the town, the roads, the country lanes, and compel, Anacazo, compel, uh, persuade, force if you have to, these people to come in. He says, my house will be filled. It's a warning to those who reject the invitation, but to all of us who say, yes, it's a beautiful invitation of grace. Anger turned to grace. Are you getting this? Again, the gospel in this? I hope you are. Those who think that they're healthy, wealthy, and wise, they won't get in. But those who thought they'd never in a million years get an invitation like this, they are welcomed in. And there's still room in our Father's house. Look around the chairs. The kids have vacated. They've had, had, there's still room in our Father's house. And we can play a dinner game of who you, you'd invite it's kind of a fun game. This isn't a game. He's invited you. And he's put an invitation in your hand to take to someone else. Jesus knows it's to the unworthy ears that it sounds too good to be true. That's why in the very next section after this, uh, this passage, it goes on to Jesus saying the cost of being disciple, what it will cost you. He says it will cost you everything. And then chapter 15, he tells more stories and parables about things lost and found. And the final one is what? About a father who had two sons that were both lost. And what happens in that scene? Another banquet. 
another banquet with room for both sons to come. One accepts the other one. Does he accept? We don't know. So the first round of guests, they have bad excuses. The second round of guests, they have no excuse. The third round of guests symbolized going out to the highways. It symbolized Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Notice in the text, the parable ends before that invitation is fulfilled, which historically would fit with Jesus' ministry, which was only to the Jews. But then we have Pentecost, and we have the apostles, and we have the apostle Paul and company that go out and they bring that gospel to all of the nations. And we see the prophecy of Isaiah 25 starting to unfold, this end of the age starting to unfold until here we are in Maple Valley all these years later, and it's still unfolding. And yet, amazingly, there's still room at the table. Application, here we go. Number one, Jesus said... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom is here and now. Jesus' messianic banquet of Isaiah 25 is ready, and the guests are being seated. Things that get you a better seat in this life, that get you ahead in this world, will not get you a better seat in the kingdom. It's a whole different way of looking at things, a whole different priority list of the things that you were seeking after. Think about the things you're seeking after. Do they line up with these kingdom values? Are they really going to get you ahead of the table that matters? Therefore, we have to take Jesus' words to heart. Our vision as a church family is this, quote, to live missional lives that communicate the transformative love of God through authentic relationships and acts of compassion. Our purpose statement that motivates us says, because of God's deep love for us, Maple Valley Church exists to restore people into full life through Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, friends, if we're not practicing this, if we're not actually living this out with radical generosity and heroic hospitality, that's just a bunch of words. It's just a bunch of words. If you are in a small group or home group, I urge you to serve at least once as a, as a whole group once this year. Every Friday night, we have community meal. We need people to serve. We need people to serve in nursery. We need people that are willing to go forth and serve at the food bank. Every home group, small group, little group, whatever group you've got, or no group at all, we want you to engage. Amen? Application one. I don't have to preach to, to the students because they're already doing it. They're teaching me. Number two, just like this story, here's the theology. Just like this story, God's anger turns to grace at the cross. You always have to find the gospel, the truth of the gospel in the word of God. It always points us to the cross. The main thread throughout the Old and New Testament is the need for man to be made right with God. God wouldn't be just unless he inflicted a penalty upon all sin. You see that a holy and just response to evil was necessary to restore the broken world in which we live. And that response came through Christ's predetermined and perfect sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's wrath once and for all. God's anger turned to grace. God's anger turned to grace. God's love was magnified through his son on the cross. So Calvary's hill, through Christ doing for, for us what we could not do for ourselves, 
the shedding of his own precious blood. Friends, that is the gospel. We don't just go and, and just do good things. We're not just do-gooders. We are carrying good news. Number three, those who hear that good news or, re, or, or receive a gift from us, those who hear it must accept and enter the banquet hall or reject and stand aloof. Judgment is self-imposed. Those who refuse the invitation and make excuses cut themselves off from fellowship of the host and his guests. They choose not to come and taste the banquet. It's their choice, but they have to be invited. And that's the charge to you and me. So that leads to number four and finally. It's all about our mission. And our mission is to help all people know God more deeply, love others more completely, and live life more fully. Someone must take this good news of the banquet out into the streets and the alleys and beyond. So friends, make it personal. Who are you in the story? Are you an invited guest who's thought, well, I'm worthy of being here? But you actually, if you think about it, if you really review how you spend your time, where you put your resources, you're really making lots of excuses. Is that you in the story? Or are you one of those unworthy people, poor, in the streets, on the highways? And you hear this invitation again and again when you come to this church and you say, no, that's not for me because I'm not worthy. I mean, if people really knew what, what happened in my life, if they really knew what was going on, they would reject me. Or are you a servant of the king who's called you to this task and this opportunity? What a beautiful way that it ends, that the servant starts getting this little vision to go forth and take this message to the people that are in the streets and alleys. It takes it to uh, this second group of class of people. It comes back and sees that the house isn't full. Maybe the master paused there to help the servants see a bigger vision, that there's more that God wants to do. There's more that God wants to do here and through this church. He wants to send us out far beyond, beyond our shores, to all the corners of the globe, until all the nations come and partake in this feast. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Come, Lord, come and fill your house here at MVC. Fill your house, O oh God. Call us forth to be your, your servants, to go and, and take this message everywhere, God. Help us to be truly, authentically, honestly willing to practice this type of radical generosity and heroic hospitality. Lord, I want to hear stories of, of people having neighborhood meals for the most unlikely of folks. And help us, God, prepare us uh, with, the, with the words, the insights, the study of Scripture, the, the, the word being written on our hearts so that we have opportunity to point people to, to Jesus and to the cross and to the empty tomb. And pray, God, as a church, in this new season of ministry of what you're doing here, Lord, that we would, we would be witnesses to that kingdom feast. We pray this in your son's precious name. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.